Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Hey team, you are listening to episode 167 of the Howie Games Part A, featuring the most listened to cricket commentator on the planet, Harsha Bogle. Goalie goes down the ground, goalie goes out of the ground. Navaz, what have you got Navaz? Ashwin goes over, clears the infield. India win a famous win. You look at all the great wins over the years and I think you'll find very, very few to compare with this one. Now, Harsh is the man. If you're a cricket fan, you've just heard him dominate the World Cup final from the commentary box. And I say he's the most listened to cricket commentator out there because Harsha is in the box when India plays and they undoubtedly have the largest audiences. So Harsh is a very big deal. Cricket is life to many Indians. I know it sounds cliched, but it really is true. Cricket is life and Harsha is their game's voice. A conversation with his dad actually set Harsher on his path to the commentary box. And what a journey it's been from Tendulkar to the T20 revolution, from World Cups to Warney. Harsher has seen it all and called it all. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes This episode was actually recorded in the early stages of the World Cup when Harsha was in Geelong. I'm not actually sure the good people of G-Town fully appreciated who was in their midst. Not that Mr Bogley would mind. He likes to fly under the radar. Enjoy the story of Harsha Bogley, the voice of the greatest game there is. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games, a man with a big smile on his face. He's in Geelong. I'm not sure the people of Geelong realise how extraordinary this is. He's doing the World Cup by the time this comes out. That'll probably be completed. But Harsha Bogle, it is wonderful to see your smiling face rather than down a video connection from India, which is how we did the last test series we did together. I, I know on a lag of three or four seconds with Isha or you or Gilly putting the hand up saying, okay, you can speak now. Okay, don't speak now. Coming in during the breaks, it was so tough. I was, I was tired at the end of one session. So the way we did it, for people that aren't aware, it, it was COVID. So it was the historic series where Rishabh Pant won the Test Series for India at the Gabba. So I, I recall at one stage I was in Melbourne in the studio. Mark Waugh was commentating with you and me. He was in Brisbane at the Test Match and you were – where were you in India? I was in a studio in Mumbai. So you were in Mumbai and we were trying to – commentate together. So it was unfortunately me that had to hold up my hand to, to direct what was going on. But Harsh, I wish you were there because that, that final day at the Gabba, um, and I had Shane with me at various times as well, which is a whole nother story. It's the best day of test cricket I've ever seen. And my Indian brother, I know how much you would have loved it in person. It was a great shame you couldn't get there. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were all sitting in that studio and thinking, this can't happen. I know. This can't happen because anybody who, who looked Indian was drafted into the side to play, to play in that game. The net bowlers were all in. Because of all the injuries. If you, if you believe that some things are meant to be, 
some things are meant to be, or sometimes when the world is against you, you just say, okay, nothing worse can happen now, so what's the best I can do from here? And suddenly you lift yourself. But I'll tell you, that was so funny because you were in, uh, if you were saying, you were in Melbourne? I was in Melbourne, yeah. Melbourne and Brisbane, there isn't a lag because I think you were connected on fibre. No, there was no lag, but for you. It was going up a satellite and down again. <laughs> so there's a three or four second lag. So I could actually hear some things and then watch it a little later. So the reason you had to put up your hand was because you, I would otherwise constantly have been speaking on top of you. Exactly. And so eventually you're speaking between overs. It, it, and it was bizarre. And the old Winvis, you know, the, the boffins or the buffoons, as uh, Mark War often calls them, <laughs> they had Australia 99% chance of winning, India 1% at various stages in that day. I, I was disappointed I wasn't at the ground myself, but I, I was more disappointed because I knew what it would have meant to you and the country. So before we get into it, yeah. a, a test match win like that, what does it mean to the Indian people? India, incredible! Rishabh Pant is the star. India win the test. They win the series and they win the hearts and minds of cricket fans all around the world. And what's the reaction? Like, we love cricket here. It's nothing like the passion in India. No, and, and beating Australia in Australia is something that my generation dreamt of, but till 2018 never saw. Now, you always play the team that's up against you, but still in 2018, you were saying, you know what, no Warner, no Smith. I, I remember we were doing commentary together and, and, and Warney asked Laurie Colliver to pull out any Australian Shield side from the mid-90s. Yep and said how many of this Australian team would get into that and he reckoned two or three might. Yep. So there was still that factor. But then to go and win in 2021, because I've been coming to Australia since 91 and I didn't think I'd see a day when India would beat Australia in Australia. So 21 was very, very special. I think on par with uh, 1971 in England. Yeah. Because you were not supposed to go to England and beat England nah. India in those days. And maybe 2004 in Pakistan because India always used to go there and lose and come and there's all other issues involved. But... Uh, it was one of the top three series wins. And I found myself, oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit afraid to say this on a podcast, it's very popular in Australia, Harsh, but I found myself, uh, I was very fortunate, as was Shane, because with, we went in for the last stint and, and it ran and ran and ran. So I think we were in there for 50 minutes and I found myself hoping India would win. Traitors. Well, I know. I know. Give him Indian citizenship. I, I, I know, but it was... And you, you, you're unbiased in commentary, but but you traditionally, you typically want a great finish. Whatever game you're doing, you want a great finish. And what Rishabh had done during the series and India was on its knees with all the injuries, I think I got a grasp of how big a performance it would be sporting-wise. And, and I sat there thinking, gee, I hope India get this done. Now, I'm a bit afraid it would one that day, now. One day we will have a discussion about commentary being unbiased. Yeah. Well, that that's for another day. That's that's a long conversation. But it but is. but to be honest, it it was it was something else. And Ajinkya Rahane was captain. Yes, a very uh, a, a gentleman of the game, uh, very strong in what he did. Sadly, he's he's been short of runs of late. But when he came back to India, I mean, each of them got an astonishing celebration, a welcome when they came back to did India. That. But when he came back to the housing society he lived in, yeah, they had made a cake in the shape of a kangaroo. Wow, asking him to cut. <laughs> 
And he said, no, that is a symbol of another country huh. and you cannot disrespect the symbol of another country. So he refused to cut it. What a great man. Yeah, he just refused what to cut it. What a great man. And now we're sitting here in Geelong. So the World Cup has just started. You did two games last night. As I said, it'll be outdated, but, but Namibia had a win. I just saw your breakfast and you, and you said to me, I need you to repeat it harsh. You said, at your stage in life, and you've got so much ahead of you, you've got three great loves. Three, three, right. Can you tell me what they were? Yes. Chocolate always existed, but it became dark chocolate (laughs) at some point. Then you can't eat milk chocolate after that. And the other two in India, uh, here in Australia, uh, I learned to enjoy freshly brewed black coffee. Mm. And I think it might have happened in Melbourne. It would have. It would have happened in Melbourne. And then I went on a coffee tour as, as part of a Tourism Australia promotion, a coffee tour in Melbourne, where I actually had a citrus flavored coffee. Can you imagine a citrus-flavored coffee? It was so good. It was somewhere along the CBD. I've gone walking around, but when you come back after four years, everything, the CBD looks the same and you don't know which which cross you're on. Absolutely. And the third, and this is a bit of a story actually, Jim Maxwell tried to convince me about two things. One was Vegemite, which I will never get convinced by, (laughs) and the other was red wine. Red wine. So he, asked, he, he said to me once, did you enjoy the red wine? I said, I took a sip, but it tastes the same as it did two months ago. <laughs> so I used to be the most popular person because anytime you went somewhere and someone gave you a bottle of wine, mine would be available for whoever wanted it. But I, I got used to the Australian palate so much that I once had a French red wine and I said, oh, that tastes different. Right. So you become a connoisseur. Uh, no, I think that might be going too right. far. But I, I, got, I learned the Aussie Shiraz tastes. And Harsh, you were in Geelong. So uh, we will get to the fact that the the man you're listening to, uh, and he's a humble man, but he he is the biggest voice in world cricket. No. No, you are. I I think you are because you're the main broadcaster in the biggest market and and you're a true international man. But to explain how big you are, and I know you want to deny it, I I had a look before I came in here and I said to my wife, old Harsha, how many... Uh, Twitter followers, do you reckon he'd have? She said, well, he's Indian, so there's a lot of population, maybe five or 600,000. And I said, no, he's got 9 million followers on Twitter. And I want to ask you about that. But firstly, you sent out a tweet yesterday saying you're on the Geelong waterfront and how fantastic it is. It is. Now, Geelong tourists, they will have been doing backflips, Asha. Like, they've got 9 million people hearing how good their city is. They, they couldn't pay you enough to do that. And I know it wasn't a paid thing for no. you. What, what's the responsibility that comes with a platform that big? Uh, two or three things happen. One, you've got to be very careful about what, what you're tweeting because there's a lot of people who will look at that. A lot of them will believe everything that you say and so they take you very seriously. So you've got to be a little more careful. Yep. You've also be, got to be careful of, that you're not offending anybody because because of the reach, for better or worse, you it, it goes to too many people. So yes. you've got to be careful of not offending anybody. And because there's always somebody who doesn't doesn't like you, the comments sometimes are very, very strong coming back. Very strong. Luckily, in my case, because I do cricket, I don't get the same amount of hatred that a lot of people on, on social media get, uh, say people in politics, for example, or in, or in the film industry. But you have to grow a layer of thick skin every morning. Just put a peel on a layer of skin every morning and say, look, there are some sad people in the world who will abuse you. But luckily for me, the people who are for are far greater than the people who are against. But you you do get your abuse. With the India-Pakistan game, you're, you're in a lose-lose situation. Yeah. But but it doesn't matter. Do you My read second it? biggest following is in Pakistan. Is it really? Yeah. 
do you read it? Do you read the negativity? Like there's a lot of messages coming your way when you've got 9 million yes. followers. I try and read the mentions, which ordinarily you shouldn't. Yep. Simply because you pick up something that you may have missed sometime. There's some very sharp people there. Yep. And there's, there's a perception when you've got into broadcasting that now you know it all and there's the average Joe doesn't know much, but they pick up so much. So I'll, I'll pick up a, a stat from somewhere, a little piece of analytics from somewhere, or just, yes, or just on in this game. I, I said, oh, and there's this, and, and the city of Geelong, this is the Cattery, as you told me, the yes. home of the cats. Yes. And someone promptly replied on Twitter saying, where you're looking out from the commentary box is the eastern suburbs, whereas away to your left is actually where the main city is. <laughs> But I mean, that, that's just, <laughs> yeah. but, but people do come up with things. Sometimes they might pick up something I might have said wrong. So I try and read my mentions and some days it's possible and some days it's not. I love, because I did message you saying, mate, if you, if you want to be a true seen as a global operator, if you mention the stadium as the cattery, people are going to love it. And you did, which, <laughs> yes. which I appreciate. But I, I want to use an example. There was, there was a, a moment um, a while back, well, not that long ago now, a women's international Deepti Sharma, was it? Yes, yes. A- and Charlotte was run out, so yes. she, w- she was man-cad. Sharma, oh, oh Deepti Sharma's done a man-cad. Oh, she has. She's man-cadded up. Now then, is that how you want to win a game of cricket? That's entirely up to you. We might be about to have some pretty terrible controversy here. She's done a man-cad. Now, I've had this discussion with Laurie. You mentioned mm-hmm. him, how our statistician. And the bowler now, if it's a no-ball, over one millimetre, the bowler gets penalised. Yet the batsman or batswoman, batter, is able to just wander down the wicket as far as they possibly can with no repercussions unless you get run out, as happened then. And so how do you go about framing a tweet like that? Like you have an opinion. Um, it was more based around the fact that she'd been criticised a lot, Deepti, um, as opposed to the rule itself. But 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 you would know, Harsh, when you send that out, you're going to get some very strong opinions back. So do you... Do you write it, think about it, then send it, or, or you just send it out there because that's how you feel? No, no, I, 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 I put it in my draft section for a while. Do you? And, and then I read it again. But yeah. it's, it's, an, it's something I've had a strong opinion for, for three or four years now. Yep. So people almost, there's some people who said, in day you call everyone, sir. Sir, let it be now. How often are you going to go after it? Yeah. But I, I mean, the spirit of the game is such a nebulous thing. Mm. Who decides what the spirit of the game is? For example, we in India used to wonder what the line that the Aussies said you must not cross is. Yep. But culture defines the line. Culture defines what is right, what is wrong, what the spirit of the game is. So you cannot sit on a high horse and look down on people because that is what you believe is culture. But today the game is so competitive. There's so much riding on every game. And with modern cameras, you realize you can be in or out and of, of the crease and therefore win or lose by a quarter of an inch. Yes. So if you're getting even a six-inch advantage, that's a huge advantage. And and so I, I, I think the spirit of the game is to play it in a noble way, but noble is not running less to complete 19 yards. Which is what you're doing. You're gaining an unfair advantage. It is. And, and, yeah, I and agree, so, Harsh. for example, I, I love Joss Butler. I've, I've spoken to him on my own program. and But Joss Butler has been leaving the crease since his under-19 days. Now, in England, somebody decided this is not on, but, I mean, there's so many other things that are, that are on that shouldn't be in the mm. game. And so I just said, I find it a little disturbing that someone who played by the laws of the game is being criticised and someone who was getting an unfair advantage wasn't. And then, of course, someone, Peter Del Pena in, uh, in the US, did a study and he found that 72 times she was outside 
but also she was more outside the crease when she wanted to retain strike right. which was which was a damning indictment and that's yes. why i said in a court of law that was enough to earn a conviction absolutely now you talked about the responsibility of twitter earlier i would not have dreamed that the captain of england would respond to that no ben stokes did reply to ben he? stokes replied to that and i had to pull out of that i could not keep that conversation going because if you have a debate of that magnitude yes. the 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 audience just sits back and enjoys it so i i actually call up i call up michael come friend of us uh, michael and i said look vorni yeah vorni yep. and i said if you have a number for ben stokes i will explain my point of view to him off air because otherwise it happened the last time this happened with ashwin and butler it happened with vorni yeah shane vorni another right. very very common dear friend of us yes and he came hard at me so i sent him a whatsapp message back saying money i know what you're saying this is the reason i am saying it and i know it's the aussie way to hold on to your opinion and keep respect mm. which is something i love in the aussies and it 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 got resolved but if we had kept that going the the papers next day would have been bogle slams won one mm. one goes off goes after bogle and that would have helped nobody at all no but my view on that is it, it's it's very simple i mean we had a world cup final decided on a boundary count back yeah and actually before that decided because Uh, someone didn't had, had forgotten or it was very difficult to check the overthrow rule which none of us knew no. to be fair so when major games are being decided by that much then you can't go i mean i i know another friend of our scotty styrus said that the laws of the game must follow the spirit of the game uh, or rather the spirit of the game must come first and the laws must follow that to which people said hang on if it's in the laws it's in the spirit mm-hmm. so th- th- this is a debate that will go on forever but i think it's a, it's a generation thing now there's a lot of younger players or younger audiences who are saying Just stay inside. Well, at the end of the day, if the batsman doesn't leave the crease, they can't be run out. So yeah. that, that's the way. So, it goes. so I call up an umpire friend of mine, and I said, yep. because the law is a little nebulous. The law says when you're ordinarily expected to release the ball. Now, in the past, it used to be when your back foot lands or your front foot lands or mm-hmm. your arm gets into a delivery stride. Why don't they just say when the ball leaves the hand? So he said to me, the ball is normally expected to leave the hand when it's at its highest point. So he said, we just look at when it's at its highest point. Yeah, it's a good point. It's... Anyway. Now, so that just answered your question it, on it, it uh, did answer it beautifully on, now on Twitter reach as i mentioned uh, and i know you you dive around it but you are, you are the voice of cricket internationally ask him to walk on water today and he'll say okay how many kilometers ask him to jump off a cliff in the form he's in and he'll say here's a parachute i don't need it yes rahul dravid mark 2 It's a hundred up for India in eleven overs. Where is this? Maybe in India, but that's good enough for well, me. Well, well, India is international cricket that, in many ways. So I dreamt of that. Tell me about I, that. I remember reading about Tony Kozia, who's always this guru for me. The voice of the West Indian. I cricket. loved Tony Kozia not just for his broadcast, because the person he was, such a lovely, humble, nice person. And I read somewhere, voice of West Indies cricket. Comes Garner on the way now to Broad and Broad edges. He's out caught. A third slip by Harper. He's out caught and bowled by holding. The bowler had no business getting across there to take that catch, and yet somehow he managed. I said, "Wow, man! Will someone ever say that about me?" And uh, and they do. Well, because I work on a website that's got a huge reach, Crickbuzz, and Crickbuzz yep. put that out because they were looking to promote yep. the bowler and. I don't know how good the adhesive is, but it's it's been a little sticky, yeah, and I don't mind it at all. Oh, I think for someone with my lack of experience, I always look ahead to the summer. Um, it, when New Zealand comes, you get to sit next to Ian Smith. When 
the West Indies come, you might get to sit next to Ian Bishop. When Pakistan came, I sat next to Wazim Akram. But it was when India came for the first time, which was early on in my test broadcasting career, and the fact I was going to sit with Harsha Bogle, it made it made my month. Mark Howard, you can edit this out <laughs> if you want. But I was on the first day when we were working together at Fox. Yeah. I found it so tough because there's Adam Gilchrist who's hosting. Yeah. And Gilly's saying, so what do you think? And I said, all my life it's been the other way. Yeah. So I'm suddenly feeling odd. But I saw you do one of those net sessions when you were playing with Spidercam. Oh, yes, roaming around. And I was watching you go around and I said, it's good I'm as old as I am. I couldn't have done that. Thank you. So it's not just a mutual admiration society in this podcast, but I looked at that and I said, wow, that was, that was clever. Well, I appreciate that. And it was, I was very edgy about working with you, but then within 10 minutes, you realise that you are as warm as you come across on air. So where, where does this start? If you tell me a bit about your family and growing up as a young man in India. We didn't have opportunities, but television came much later. But I would go and I played senior division cricket in, in Hyderabad. For what my, t- what for type my, of cricket were you? My university side was senior division, A division cricket in Hyderabad. Bat- battle ball? Uh, I used to bowl leggies. And bat, so I started moving up the order. Okay. Towards the end, I was batting sort of six, five, six, five, six, and I bowled leggies. And my my <laughs> my leg breaks took an eternity to reach the batsman after they landed. <laughs> I love it. Ash. You know, <laughs> e- e- everyone used to tell me leg spins are difficult, art accuracy is very difficult, and I could land the ball where I wanted. And I said, "What's the big deal about leg break bowling?" Yeah. And I could bowl the googly. I could bowl the leg break. And then I discovered the big thing about leg break bowling is it's got to nip, it's got to nip off the track. Mm. And now my ball sort of landed on the deck and uh, sort of enjoyed its environment a little bit. <laughs> enjoyed its environment. <laughs> and then slowly crawled its way back to the batsman's head. But I was a very, uh, I didn't have much confidence, not much self-belief, which also was very true of my broadcasting years early on. And so I found, and I've said this to a couple of people, I found the thing that excited me most was fielding. Fielding? I loved fielding. Did you? Where, where'd you field? Where were you, where were you? Always. No one ever told me. Always at point. Point. Okay. And the reason was, when I was, when I was batting, I remember we were playing a game and there were two Ranji Trophy bowlers, first-class bowlers bowling at either end, and they were quick. For our standards, they were seriously quick. Yeah. And I almost put on a second thigh pad. And those thigh pads in those days were colossal. They were huge. They're like they, a mattress. They, they, they extended from your knee to your hip. And you're going to put a second one now, on. If you put a second one, you're literally walking with your two feet apart. <laughs> and luckily, there was a little partnership before me. And just before going out, I took out the second one. They would have died laughing. <laughs> this nerdy guy in glasses had walked out doing that. But I always wondered... What if they bowl quick to me? What if it's a bouncer? What if that happens? And even though I got a few runs, I was always that kind of person. And if I bowl, I say, don't hit me, don't hit me. But when it came to fielding, you see, no one can stop you. Yeah. Once the ball is hit, <laughs> it's you and the ball. Yep. No force on earth can stop you from taking the catch. No force of earth on, on earth can stop you from the pick and throw that produces a run out. It's all you. And suddenly I found this a different person. When I'm batting and bowling, I'm a different person. When I'm fielding, I'm a different person. <laughs> So it was. I enjoyed fielding. Can you imagine? I've, I've got um. I've got a couple of young kids, harsh, and they whoever's most connected to the guest. Yes. They always ask a question. Um, okay. And what we're talking about now, um, my young fella who loves his cricket. His yes. name is Mac. He's only yes. ten, harsher, but his nickname, as you know, everyone in Australia has a nickname. Yes. He gave himself a nickname, which is the Big Penguin. Uh, I don't know why. Okay. But you are you happy to take the question from of the course. Big Penguin? Okay. 
The big penguin? Hey, Harsh, a big penguin here. First off, I really, really like listening to your commentating, which is why you're my second favourite commentator. I just have a little hot spot for my dad. But anyway, when you were younger, did you always want to be a commentator or did you want to play cricket? First thing I will tell you, big penguin, I don't think I was as confident as you till well into my career. <laughs> he's well trained. He's been he's been on this podcast since he was four harsh, so he's got a good good ground. <laughs> How confidently are you asking that? And I, I'd have I'd have rehearsed that, read it, gone through a. <laughs> Mate, gone he did th- that between his fifth and sixth week pick this morning before he ran out the door to school. So he's good to go. But that is the great thing about this generation, isn't it? It's so it much is. more confident than ours. I never dreamt of playing cricket for India or playing cricket for my state or my city. Never. I don't know whether it was because I was realistic about my skills. Yeah. But we grew up in an environment where I, I was doing chemical engineering at that time. Chemical engineering. Yeah, I did five years of chemical engineering. Wow. But you had to get a job after that or yes. you had to get into a different school or a different college after that. And there was no money to be made playing cricket. So if you worked your backside off, I might have played one level up if I was a little more self-assured, a little more ambitious, but there was no way I was going to play beyond that. So there was never any dream of playing for India. or No, never ever dreamt. But it was after one of those games that I was playing that my my father put out very academic. My father could only have been an academic. (laughs) He put out two chairs. We had our own house. We had a little uh, yard in front. And I've come back and there's two chairs there. And I'm thinking, right, what's this about? And he said, I think you've played to the level you can play. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> because he used to come to watch me play. And every time he came, I got out. Because I didn't, I didn't like defending. Part of the reason I didn't like defending was if there's a fast bowler bowling, you want to play shots because you don't back your defense, right? Yeah, okay. So when I got into broadcasting, because I wasn't confident, I spoke very fast. Right. The Benno pause comes with confidence. Yeah, okay. The pause, if you're nervous, you don't pause because you just want to get it done. Yes. I always got out when he came in. So he sort of sat me down and said, why don't you try to talk about the game? Why don't you write about the game a little bit? So it was and, his suggestion? Oh, in, in, an, in an era when if your father said politely, I think you should do this, it meant do this. Back to Harsha shortly. Next up on the Howie Games, an athlete that captured the nation's collective heart at the Tokyo Olympics, Peter Bowl. If you get your kids to listen to one episode of this show ever, I really hope it's Peter. You had a mask on, but you could see your smile from the other side of the world. Yeah. And that's the joy I was, I was talking about. Yeah. Like, you get, like I was having fun. You look like you're having fun. I was having a lot of fun. You didn't look like you had the weight of the world or pressure or expectation on you. Oh, yeah. And part of that, because you understand, like, you're in this sport, like, of course, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be nerves. It's not like, you, the key is not to, like, like, diminish and make sure, like, those things don't exist or because they do exist. It's like, it's like to embrace them and find ways to go about them. And, and it's like the only, pressure I, the only pressure I really feel is the pressure, the soft pressure that you put in yourself. Like I think the weight of the world, the weight of the support, um, just use it as that, as support. Like, um, and the nerves, how do you deal with nerves? Um, man, I'm just there, like breathe, breathing, technique, focusing on your breath, um, just doing everything you do at training. And my... And my, I guess my mentor for, for the Olympics was um, as simple as it sounds like um, it's still two laps of the track. I've run, I've run 800 in Perth, I've run it in Sydney, I've run it everywhere. Um, just different track in a different city. That's Peter Bowl next up on the podcast.
let's get back to Harsha. I've been privileged to have a lot of fantastic cricketers on here, and we always talk about where their backyard cricket was, what their setup was. As a young fella, tell me about you playing cricket with your mates. Is it on the street? Is it with a taped-up tennis ball? Is it in the backyard? What are your memories? Because, Harsh, I've only been to India once for the Commonwealth Games in 2012, and I went prior and we shot stories all around Delhi and got involved in a couple of street games of cricket. And it's probably my favourite cricket memories because of the passion. So what, what was your what was your backyard cricket per se? I was very lucky. A backyard is a very Aussie concept. Yes. If you, if you came to Mumbai and asked people about a backyard, they won't even know what that means because right. it, it's four apartments to a block or six apartments to a block. So different. So there is no backyard. And sometimes, I mentioned Ajinkya Rani earlier on in the program, someone like him would travel two hours to get a net and two hours back in a train. Hmm. Some, some more than that. Very often is the mothers who take that. I'm convinced that mothers create cre- create athletes more <laughs> than uh, than fathers do. But that's that's a debate for another day. But luckily, I grew up on a university campus because both my parents taught at the university. Okay. So loads of open space, and we used to play with a hard ball, a, a cork ball. Cork ball. Yeah, we couldn't afford to play with the, with a cricket ball because when you're playing on the mud, that gets ruined very quickly, and we couldn't afford it in the first place. So you played with a cork ball. And to give it the feel of a cricket ball, they used to they used to paint it red, and it had a little, little tiny little protuberances, which we assumed in our naivety to be the seam. Okay. And so we try and bowl out swing, but the paint would go off in a little while, <laughs> so there's nothing left there. And when I was a kid, there was this one cricket book we had by an Aussie cricketer called Colin McCool. Colin McCool. It was okay. Colin McCool's How to Play Cricket. And before every match that we were playing with the next locality, we would read Colin McCool's How to Play Cricket and say, okay, get your bat in line. But get your bat in line, but the ball, once it hits the deck, has a mind of its own, right? Because you're not <laughs> playing on a mat or whatever. It's only when I went to school and when I started playing at uh, university cricket that we started playing on a mat. My school was till I was 17. So I was playing in the school senior team. We had a proper mat. So the ball behaved itself. But before that, the ball didn't behave itself. You didn't have pads. Forget helmet and abdomen guards. Okay. So okay. We, did, we actually did very well to <laughs> to survive that. But that 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 was that was great fun. Scoring twenty five was the pinnacle of life. Okay. So you're a young man, and then your dad sits you down and he says, "Why don't you think about talking and writing?" Yeah, what because by then I'm playing decent cricket. Yes. But what what's the first step? Like, what, what do you do? Knock on a radio station's door? Like, like what? It's very yeah. different now. People say to me, oh, how should you get into it? And I say, well, you can do a podcast. You can write a blog. You can do a YouTube channel. You can commentate cricket live and put it anywhere you want. It's, but back in the olden days, Harsha, <laughs> when you were you're a young- You're not old enough to say that, I can. <laughs> when you were a young man, what's the first step? I'm fascinated. Luckily, luckily the Hyderabad that I grew up in was really a giant village. My father taught French at the university, so almost everybody who had studied French had gone through. He set up the French department in Hyderabad. He was one of the earliest teachers. So, In Hyderabad, you're never more than one or two degrees of separation. So I, he knew people in All India Radio. I don't know if he actually spoke to them. So I actually went there and repeated what he asked me to say, which seems so audacious now, which is there's an under-19 test match happening in Hyderabad. I think we should have an under-19 commentator for an under-19 test match. <laughs> and I said that without realizing, I was just told, go and say that. So I went and said that. And then they gave me, they said, okay, this kid looks all right. We used to have youth programs there. So they said, okay, there's a game happening. Why don't you go there, watch the game and do a little two-minute resume of that game and come back and we'll see if it's good enough to put on air. Wow. I started doing a little bit of that. I started doing the youth programs on radio. 
except that it was an English language program. And so it meant uh, English music. And I was born and brought up on Hindi film music. I knew all of six songs, I think. So you have to throw to the songs in in No, I, I started being the RJ. Right. As part of the training. So I started being the RJ. So I had to play the songs. Now, I know all of six songs. So I, I would say, <laughs> and we had to play them on a turntable. On a oh. turntable. Just put the needle in there and play it on a turntable. But I learned that. And then I got an audition. I got an audition. And for some reason, the station director was a jolly elderly man, was listening to it and said, let's give this kid a break. Did he really? So I was 19 and a bit when I did my first first class game. And what what do you like how nervous were you? What are your memories? If 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 there was a tape existed of that now, what would it be like? I once heard my commentary on the first test match I ever did. Okay. And I am so happy it doesn't exist. <laughs> Come on, Art. I am 24 years old. Right. I'm so happy it doesn't exist. But that game my one overriding memory of that game. One is... Your the, first game? The first game, Hyderabad yep. versus Kerala. Yeah. Ranji Trophy game. We only started after lunch, I think, because there was other programming. This went on the main radio channel of that city. It's all all India radio. There's no private channels then. And the next, mo- the next year, day after that, I've gone back to college and someone turns up to me and said, is there a tiger on your tail? I said, why? He said, can we understand what you're trying to say? You're speaking so fast. <laughs> But my is memory, my memory is I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm looking through the window, M- much like at the old SCG. You looked out through the window and watched the games. So I'm looking out through the window, waiting for my turn, and it's drinks. No commercials. Drinks is three minutes. So the ball-by-ball ball man, there's no expert. It's just one ball-by-ball ball man calling. So you're the whole, you're the whole show? Just one ball-by-ball ball man calling. So you've got a three-minute drinks break to fill? It's not me yet. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking what to do. And there's this commentator who's done one test match. And to us, he was God because he'd done one test match. And as soon as drinks came on, he said, uh, he gave the score and he he did a little bit of the card. And he said, uh, and our next commentator is Harsha Bogle. And I'm there and I've got three minutes to do. And he's already given the score. (laughs) It was the most, most terrifying three minutes of my life. I have no clue what I said, but I'll tell you what, the game started about two hours later. <laughs> it felt that way. And I, I, I still, I told myself, man, one day when I'm the senior commentator, I will do the three minutes and, and then get the kid on. Over to the rookie. And get the kid on, get the rookie on. But there was one other experience that came in really handy. I was supposed to go to Chennai for only my second test match. I used to get one test match every couple of years. Because all India Radio had a large panel, so everyone had to get a go. So, and I was this young kid, didn't know anybody. I got the odd test match. So I'm going to Chennai for the fourth test match, India versus West Indies, 1987-88. Viv Richards' team, and I'm very excited. And I get there, and I, we have the meeting the day before, and they said, okay, okay, okay. And you are doing Radio Trinidad. I said, oh, I thought I was doing this. They said, no, no, you're doing Radio Trinidad, but we are mounting the broadcast for them, so that's why you're, you're doing Radio Trinidad. So this is to go back into the Caribbean? Only for the Caribbean. Right. But because of time difference, they only take the post-tea session. Right. So I only have two hours to do, but I'm the only one doing those two hours. I'm the only guy. So you're, you're doing a two-hour stint by yourself? Yes, two hours. Now, here's the funny part. <laughs> In those days, India played five and a half hours of test cricket, not six. The last session was one and a half hours long. Yeah. The first two sessions, two hours long. Now do your simple arithmetic. You're doing the last two hours, but the last session is only one and a half hours. 
That means there's a tea session in between. So you got a 20-minute break as well? 20 minutes! <laughs> what You're do you do? You're rolling solo. So, I, so, the, so the first day, I've gone down, and I've, Jackie Hendricks was the manager of the West Indies. I said, uh, it's going back to Trinidad. Would you mind coming up? So the first day, he comes, and we do, what, 15 minutes with him. Now, the second day, one of my colleagues, and I'll remember him forever, he just said, I'll come and sit with you. <laughs> but... I got all these experiences very early in life. And uh, I don't know what happened, but yeah. It, it didn't last five days, that test match, because Hirwani took 16 on debut. Oh, the leg spinner. The leg spinner. Hirwani took 16 on debut, and Kiran Mori was just stumping batsmen who were so far down, you probably couldn't recognize them. <laughs> so, yeah. so you're... I had, some, I had some interesting experiences early on, yeah. Doing it by yourself, it's like, harsh, what do you think? Well, this is what I think, harsh. Like, there's no one to go no, to. No. So where, where does it... Uh, you, you came out with the ABC. Was that your first overseas tour yeah. or not? No, I'd, I'd done England but uh, in 90, right. but only writing newspaper reports. So when you came out to the ABC, because I wrote, I wrote this down, when you came out yes. and joined the ABC, you were described uh, 1992. He was rated as the possessor of, and I quote, the sexiest voice on radio. I want to meet that lady. I have. I, <laughs> You've been looking for her. You've been, I've been looking for her. I've you been looking for her for thirty years. Her name is Susan Kurosawa. Right. Oh yeah, she's a she's a, a very well known so, newspaper so, writer. Correct. So someone finally on the twenty eighteen tour said, "Here's a number for her." So I sent her a WhatsApp message, but I never got a reply. Oh. So on this. Famous broadcast, Susan Kurosawa, if you're listening, you made my day. But I also realize why you said the possessor of the sexiest voice, because you could not put that adjective alongside anything else about me. <laughs> just the voice. It, just. It's just that I was a curiosity. So when did it start to, we'll get back to Australia, but when did, it, when did all of a sudden you become a full-time cricket analyst, broadcaster, writer? What, what was the progression from those getting a test match every two years? Was when there, when was, I started freelancing across media. Okay. If you're, if you're a freelance. Which is gutsy. Yes, given that my batchmates from management school, one of the biggest breaks in life for me came when I got into management school. And it's a very aspirational management school. I don't know what I did right. My interview was one of the most difficult interviews I've ever had. Could have been the sexy voice. Back in 84, <laughs> back, back in 83. But I don't know how I got in, but this is the most aspirational business school in India. Even okay. today, it's India's number one business school. And one of the, I keep telling people back on the campus, I'm standing at an airport once, and this kid walks up to me and says, you're Harsha Bogle? I said, yeah. And he looked up at me and said, you really went to IIM Ahmedabad? So I said, yes. And he just looked me up and down and said, wow, and walked away. <laughs> Didn't want anything more. I don't know why I got into that business school. It changed my life. I, I did my first test match while I was there. So How did it change your life? It changed my life because it took a very insecure, underconfident guy and threw him in the wolves. It was, I was surrounded by people who came from a different intellectual plane than I knew existed. And I was looking at the standard of the students there, the standard of the curriculum. This is India's number one business school. And I'm looking at all these guys and I'm saying, how did you lose your way and land up here? And after that traumatic first year, I survived because in my, in my, I close my eyes, in my memory, there's my father coming home on the scooter, excited as hell with the admission letter. Huh. And I said, what if I have to go back? 
That's great, Ash. And I'd get up in the middle of the night thinking, how am I going to survive this level of academic rigor? I survived and my second year was beautiful and it made me a little more confident about life. But I'm, I'm from this business school background now and my friends are starting to move up in corporate circles. And here I am just saying, okay, let's try and do this. The advantage is when you come from a good business school, you, you know you'll get a job later if you want, if it doesn't work out. Okay, so you've got a, you've got a fallback plan if required. Yes, and, and my wife, I didn't know I had a house in Mumbai. I didn't know at the time. Right. She was a classmate of mine on campus. Anita. Yes. So, so I've, I've, I've got to do reasonably well, right? But I've always believed if you change your profession, you're giving up what your biggest strength is. Mm. So I was working in advertising. I'm working in strategy planning, whatever, conceiving advertising campaigns for creative to, to implement. But if you're giving up all that to go into an area where your academic qualification has no, ex, has no value, then you have no choice but to try to be the best. And so I worked my backside off. Being freelance allowed me to have, have a career. So when I came to Australia in 91, I wasn't only doing ABC radio because ABC radio wasn't paying me. I was the overseas broadcaster, so I wasn't getting paid a penny. Huh. I was getting paid to write. And, you know, in, in, the, in those days, we used to have video magazines back in India. <laughs> so I would open the yellow pages in Sydney or Brisbane or Melbourne somewhere and pull out a, a camera person who'd come with audio equipment as well in one of those biggest, then equivalent of an SUV. Yeah. And we'd go around doing city shots, nets, whatever. And I'd do two or three features in that one day and send them by courier back to India. Back to India by courier. Yeah, back to so India. you couldn't even beam them up by satellite or anything. You're sending no, the, the physical tape back. Mark, Mark, you're talking 91. The satellites <laughs> went up yet. Geez, you're an old bloke. <laughs> fax machines hadn't come yet. No, they just come. No, they just come. Right. Fax machines were a couple of years in. That doesn't help you with video, though, does it? So, But that was one of the things I did. But I was writing two newspaper articles a day. I was doing all that to fund my, because I wanted to do radio. Huh. And how did I do radio? Because I had this commentary. I sent, it, I sent a cassette tape to Alan Marks at the ABC. But I also explained to him, you'll only hear one voice because in India we deliver 15-minute monologues. <laughs> so please bear in mind if it, <laughs> this is how it is. So, so when I came to Australia, I was doing all that 14-hour days because I wanted to do commentary. It wasn't funding me. But Australia changed my life. And so I'm always beholden in a sense to... To this country. And was Kerry doing ABC at that stage? No, Kerry came much later. You're right. much younger, Mark. Right. Okay. So, what, so that year was Norman O'Neill, Peter Roebuck. Okay, so th these are uh, enorm Massey. enormous names in, yeah. in, in broadcasting. But Jim and Tim and Neville Oliver. And then I made, other, I made friends everywhere I went. But Jim and Tim and then later Glenn Mitchell, they remain friends even today. So I, I go to Perth. I spent an evening with Glenn and Karen, so yeah. Karen's been on this show recently. She'd been Is through she? a difficult time. I know, um, I know. You should listen to it because the courage she has displayed to get back to broadcasting harsher after basically losing her memory is um, people should listen to that episode because she's Karen's, a tremendous Karen's an outstanding professional. Yeah. I, I spoke to her a couple of weeks ago and I'm, I'm planning to look her up when I go to Perth. You should. That is the end of Harsha Bogle Part A. The second inning's coming your way, good people, on Part B. Part 